Welcome to the Dizzy Discussions Podcast, the clinician's guide to vestibular rehab. Our goal is to spread knowledge and awareness of current and up-and-coming vestibular assessment, evaluation, and treatments for vestibular veteran and novice alike. Without further ado, here's your hosts, Eddie Ernst and Dr. Stephen T. Marina. All right. Welcome, everyone, to our Wednesday clinical discussion. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing some BPPV testing modifications, primarily focusing on the Dix Hallpike position. Um, today's topic was inspired by a post by Bob Lee in the group. So I really thanks Bob for kind of posting that question about a patient regarding uh, testing them with the patient feeling uh, dizziness and having nystagmus while looking up in a seated position, but not being able to recreate the dizziness in a lying position. So what I wanted to do today was talk about a couple key updates in the research and showing you that there are some modifications that you can take for your Dix Hall Pike testing. So sometimes when you're working with patients, there can be alterations in the patient's um, anatomy or the patients might have some comorbidities that restrict them from lying down flat or from lying in a fully recumbent position. And so we wanna employ some modifications in our testing. So for the typical Dix Hall Pike testing, we need about 45 degrees of neck rotation and at least 45 degrees of cervical extension. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna lie the patient down right on the bed with the head rotated and extended in that lying position. Now, if you don't have that amount of necessary neck extension or rotation, you're gonna to need to find another way to get it. So the first modification that I wanted to talk about was the abbreviated chair test or abbreviated chair extension test. So I actually have the article pulled up so I can give you the name. And what I'll do is I'll post this um, article in the group. So it's an abbreviated diagnostic maneuver for the posterior benign positional paroxysmal vertigo. And this was described in 2016. And so the way this modification works is if you have a patient, you can actually test them similar to the Dix Hall Pike for the posterior canal, and you can test them in sitting. So you would have the patient scoot their hips all the way to the edge of the chair. Now this is key. So in the research article, they said that this is one of the most important parts because you need to get enough trunk extension, and then you're gonna to need to get enough neck extension. So you're gonna have them scoot their um, hips to the edge of the chair, then you're gonna have them turn their head towards the plane or the side of the posterior canal that you're gonna assess. So if I have them turn their head to the left, they're gonna uh, rotate 45 degrees to the left, then they're gonna extend their head back as far as possible. Now this is so that we get enough neck extension to stimulate that posterior canal. So again, first part is scooting to the edge of the chair, shoulders back against the chair, neck rotated 45 degrees, and then you're gonna extend them back as far as you can. What I thought was interesting about this test was the fact that it actually had pretty good sensitivity and specificity. So the article reported that they had fairly good sensitivity of 80% and a high specificity of 95% for diagnosing posterior canal BPPV. So just to kind of summarize that, if the patients were positive, for BPPV and you tested them with this test position, you have a 95% specificity. So that's a pretty good test for kind of ruling in BPPV. Um, I've, I've had to use this a couple times in the clinic. It's not my go-to, but if you can't lie the patient back due to back pain or due to, to some other comorbidity, 
related to the trunk or to the lower back, this test works really well. It's also helpful, let's say you're in a nursing home or when you're in a clinic that you are working with a patient that can't get on the bed. So oftentimes we'll get questions from our clinicians that are working in SNF settings and they say, oh, I can't roll the patient in bed or the patient doesn't have enough mobility to get there. You might be able to do this abbreviated test position in the chair. The other modification for the Dix Hall Pike I wanted to talk about was a modification that was described in 2020, and that's called the loaded Dix Hall Pike test. Now, this is a really great addition to the research because this is um, designed to really help increase our diagnostic accuracy. Oftentimes, when we do a Dix Hall Pike test, we'll rotate the head to the side of testing, and then we'll just extend them back over the edge of the table. What the loaded Dix Hall Pike test does is we'll rotate their head to the left and we'll, sorry, we'll have them first flex their head down in the plane of the canal. We're loading those otoconia in the canal and then we extend them back, rotated and extended. And what this does is it tries to move the otoconia to this portion of the canal so that when we extend them back, the otoconia has a larger distance to roll therefore increasing the potential stimulation of the posterior canal. So we might be able to actually see and observe a little bit more when we're doing our Dix Hall Pike testing. So I've started to use this when I'm working with my patients. If you're looking at some of the research related to kind of the morphological changes in the canal and the uh, variations in anatomy, and some of the theoretical models of the way otoconia fall through the canal, the loaded Dix Hall Pike test it really kind of fits with that research and suggests that we can get a better stimulation or better response during our Dix Hall Pike testing. There was a really cool study um, done a while back about theoretical models where it showed if the otoconia fell at three different positions within the canal, you could stimulate the canal more or less depending on how it rolled. So you can imagine if you have a canal and the otoconia rolls right along the wall of the canal, there's potential for less cupular deflection and less stimulation of the inner ear. Whereas if the otoconia falls in kind of the middle of the canal, there can be more cupular deflection, therefore more stimulation. So when we do a test such as the Dix Hall Pike or the abbreviated test position or the loaded Dix Hall Pike position, there's room for false negatives um, as well as positives. So we wanna make sure that we're actually assessing the canal correctly. And that loaded Dix Hall Pike test position is a really great way to kind of increase your diagnostic accuracy. So that's really kind of what I had planned for my discussion today, just kind of based off of our discussion with Bob Lee. A lot of the times when we're assessing patients with symptoms that are um, suggestive of BPPV, we really wanna make sure our diagnostic accuracy is as high as it can be. If you've ever looked at some of the research for the Dix Hall Pike position, and even the abbreviated test position, the sensitivity and specificity, they're not at 100%. And so there are room for you know not really catching what you really should be assessing or having those false negatives or even false positives. So what we really wanna do when we're uh, thinking about our test positions, if the history is strong and suggestive for positional vertigo, you might wanna test multiple times or you might wanna try that loaded Dix Hall Pike position with neck flexion before you go into the extension rotation or trial in an, another maneuver for testing. So maybe the patient tests negative for the Dix Hall Pike, 
Try the abbreviated chair position. See if you can stimulate that canal or the plane of that canal in one other way. Therefore, you're more confident if the patient tests negative. That might make you suggest that there might be another diagnosis going on. So if you get multiple negative tests and you tried multiple different test positions and it's coming back negative, 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 then you're gonna start working on your differential diagnosis, suggesting things like BVI, cervicogenic dizziness, or some other form of vertigo or dizziness that can be prompted with neck extension and rotation. So hopefully this clinical discussion was helpful. Next week, I plan on showing some alternate um, treatment positions for the posterior canal. I'm planning to go uh, through the GANS repositioning maneuver, maybe talk about a sideline test position that we can utilize as well. So hopefully this is helpful for your clinical, um, clinical work this next week. Feel free to try them out and I'll try to post those articles in the discussion board. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to the Dizzy Discussion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something today. Be sure to continue the conversation on our Facebook groups, Evidence CEU Vestibular Study Group, or the patient-centered support group called Dizzy Discussions Vestibular Support Group. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to sharing our next episode.